Part Two, Chapter Three of Rubble and Roseleaves and Things of That Kind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marcela Collado. Rubble and Roseleaves by Frank W. Boram. The Pretender. Chapter Three. The Pretender. Part One. Let's pretend, cried Jean. They were enjoying a romp after tea, but the game had been suddenly interrupted. How can we drown him when there is no water? asked Ernest, looking wonderfully wise. Oh, let's pretend the lawn's the water, replied Jean, brushing aside with impatience so trifling a difficulty. Let's pretend. I used to wonder why Bonnie Prince Charlie was called the pretender, as though he enjoyed some monopoly in that regard. We are all pretenders. Some, perhaps, are more skillful than others. Jean was specially clever. One day, a lady called and gave her a beautiful bunch of flowers. Ernest was particularly fond of flowers and thought that he could capture them by guile. I say, Jean, he cried, let's have a game. We'll tend that flowers are mine. All right, Jean replied, with a slight twinkle. And you tend, you've got him precisely there is no end to the possibilities of pretending it is the one game of which we never grow tired we learn to play it as soon as we are out of the cradle and it still fascinates us as we totter on the brink of the grave indeed as h c bunner shows childhood and age often play the game together look at this it was an old 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 lady and a boy who was half past three and the way that they played together was beautiful to see she couldn't go running and jumping and the boy no more could he for he was a pale little fellow with a thin little twisted knee they sat in the yellow sunlight out under the maple tree and the game that they played i'll tell you just as it was told to me it was hide-and-seek they were playing though you would never have known it to be with an old 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 lady and a boy with a twisted knee the boy would bend down his face, close his eyes, and guess where she was hiding. He was allowed three guesses. She was in the china closet. Wrong. Well, she was in the chest in Papa's bedroom, the chest with the queer old key. Wrong again, but warmer. Well, then, she was in the clothes press. It was his third guess, and it was right. In the clothes press she was. It was his turn to hide and Granny's turn to guess then she covered her face with her fingers which were wrinkled and white and wee and she guessed where the boy was hiding with the one and the two and the three and they never had stirred from their places right under the maple tree this old 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 lady and the boy with the lame little knee this dear 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 old lady and the boy who was half past three it is the oldest game in the world it was played just as it is played today before any other game was dreamed of and the children of tomorrow will be playing it when the games of today are all forgotten it is the most universal game in the world it is played in Pekin just as it is played in london it is played in missouri just as it is played in new york it is played in timbuktu just as we play it here in melbourne the rules of the game never alter with the period or change with the place it is equally popular in all grades of society. 
the royal children played in the palace grounds and the street urchins played in the alleys and the slums for the beauty of it is that it needs no paraphernalia or tackle or gear you have not to buy a bat or a ball a racket or a net you do not require special grounds or courts or links the old 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 lady and the boy with the twisted knee take it into their heads to have a game and then and there without moving an inch or getting a thing they set to work and play it jean cries let's pretend and straight away everybody is pretending let's pretend cried jean there was nothing original in the suggestion if the words are not actually a quotation from shakespeare it is perfectly certain that shakespeare uttered them they voice the very spirit of the drama the play and the pantomime are all a matter of pretending it happened last evening that i had an appointment in the city i had promised to meet a friend on the town hall steps at half past seven i was early it was a delicious summer's evening and i enjoyed watching the crowd the crowd is always worth watching but at that hour the crowd is at its best the strain of the day is over and the weariness of night has not yet come the crowd is fresh vivacious light-hearted as i stood upon the steps i saw young men and maidens keeping their tryst with each other they were making no effort to conceal their joy in each other's society as they tripped off together they were laughingly anticipating the entertainment to which they were hastening gentlemen in evening dress accompanied by handsome women beautifully gowned swept by in sumptuous cars that were brightly lit and daintily adorned with choicest flowers here and there in this unbroken tide of traffic i caught a glimpse of features more quaint and of garments more fantastic i saw a troubadour a viking a knight errant a pierrot and a spanish cavalier i saw a gypsy queen a geisha girl a milkmaid an egyptian princess and the lady of the court of louis the fourteenth they were on their way to a fancy dress ball at government house i stood entranced as this pageant of pleasure swept past me and a strange thought seized my fancy i reminded myself that in any one of ten thousand cities i might witness at the same hour an identically similar spectacle if i could have taken my stand in the strand in london or in princess street edinburgh or in sackville street dublin or in broadway new york or in the main thoroughfare of any city in christendom i should have gazed upon a scene which would have seemed like a mere reflection of this one and then i asked myself for an interpretation of it all what did it all mean this throng of happy pedestrians laughing and chatting as they surged along the pavements this ceaseless procession of gay vehicles in the brilliantly illuminated roadway part two it is a tribute to our human passion for pretending his excellency stands in the reception hall at government house and laughingly welcomes his guests they are pretenders every one the troubadour is no troubadour the viking no viking the gypsy no gypsy and the milkmaid no milkmaid they are just pretending and they have gone to all this trouble and to all this expense that the full orb joy of pretending may be for one crowded hour their own and the other people the gentlemen in evening dress the ladies richly begowned and bejeweled the surging crowd upon the path they are making their way to the theatres they are going to see the great actors and actresses pretend one actor will pretend to be a cripple and another will pretend to be a king 
one actress will pretend to be an empress and one will pretend to be a slave and the better the actors and the actresses pretend the better these people will like it for the people love pretending that is how the theatre came to be like topsy it had no father and no mother it sprang from our insatiable fondness for make-believe in his short history of the english people john richard green says that it was the people itself that created the stage and he graphically describes their initial ventures the theatre he says was the courtyard of an inn or a mere booth such as is still seen at a country fair the bulk of the audience sat beneath the open sky a few covered seats accommodated the wealthier spectators while patrons and nobles sprawled upon the actual boards in those days the audience had to do its part of the pretending if the spectators saw a few flowers they accepted the hint and imagined that the play was being enacted in a beautiful garden in a battle scene the arrival of an army was represented by a stampede across the stage of a dozen clumsy scene-shifters brandishing swords and bucklers in order to assist the audience to muster appropriate emotions the stage was draped with black when a tragedy was about to be presented and with blue when the performance was to portray life in some lighter vein what is this but a group of children playing at charades at dressing up at just pretending children pretend in order that they may escape from the limitations of reality into the infinitudes of romance once they begin to pretend all life is open to them they have uttered the magic sesame and every gate unbars their seniors invade the same realm for the same reason this is the significance of those crowded streets last night part three now this brings me to a very interesting point is it wrong to pretend in the greatest sermon ever preached the sermon on the mount jesus calls certain people hypocrites but did he by doing so condemn all forms of hypocrisy if so the people upon whom i looked last night were all of them earning for themselves his malediction and so were the people gathered in the quaint old english courtyard and so was jean when she called to her playmates let's pretend and so was the old 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 lady and the boy with the twisted knee for a hypocrite as the very word suggests is simply a pretender a hypocrite is one who colors his face or dresses up or acts a part does it follow therefore because jesus condemned the pharisees and called them hypocrites that all pretenders fall beneath his frown to ask the question is to answer it fancy jesus frowning at dean fancy jesus frowning at the old 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 lady and the boy with the twisted knee why jesus himself pretended on occasions he behaved towards the syrophoenician woman as though he had no sympathy with her in her distress he saw the disciples in trouble on the lake and walking on the water he made as though he would have passed them by when after journeying with two of his disciples to emmaus he reached the door of their home he made as though he would have gone farther he made as though he made as though he made as though the feints of deity let a man but keep his eyes wide open and he will seem some very lovable hypocrites some very amiable pretenders in the course of a day's march i have been reading the butterfly man and here in the early part of the book is a scene in which a child and a criminal take part mary virginia shows john flint a pasteboard box 
it contains a dark-colored and rather ugly gray moth with his wings turned down you wouldn't think him pretty would you asked the child no replied john flynn disappointedly i shouldn't mary virginia smiled and picking up the little moth held his body very gently between her fingertips he fluttered spreading out his gray wings and then john saw the beautiful pansy-like underwings and the glorious lower pair of scarlet velvet barred and bordered with black i got to thinking said the girl thoughtfully lifting her clear and candid eyes to john flint's i got to thinking when he threw aside his plain gray cloak and showed me his lovely underwings that he's like some people you couldn't be expected to know what was underneath could you so you pass them by thinking how ordinary and uninteresting and ugly they are and you feel rather sorry for them because you don't know but if you once get close enough to touch them why then you find out you only think of the dust-colored outside and all the while the underwings are right there waiting for you to find them isn't it wonderful and beautiful and the best of it all is it's true in these artless sentences tripping so easily from a child's tongue mary omler sums up the burden of her book the incident is a parable for john flynn was himself the drub and ugly moth in the opening chapters of the story he's a horrible object coarse brutal loathsome revolting but there were underwings and gradually beneath the touch of gentle influences those underwings became visible and in the later stages of the story all men admired and revered and loved the beautiful nobleness of the butterfly man part four there are people i suppose who trick themselves out to make themselves appear much prettier or much nicer or worse still much holier than they really are let's pretend they cry and there is something sinister in their pretending it is against these people and against them only that the anathemas of the sermon on the mount are directed again there are people who like ian mclaren's drumtacti folk go through life dreading lest their underwings should be seen their virtues exposed their goodness discovered they bear themselves distantly and give an impression of aloofness you would never dream unless you got to know them that their dispositions were so sweet their characters so strong their souls so saintly i am told that a great actor achieves his triumphs through contemplating so closely the character that he impersonates his own individuality becomes for the time being absorbed in another henry irving forgets that he's henry irving and believes himself to be macbeth i have read of one who seeming to possess no form nor comeliness nor any beauty that men should desire him was nevertheless the chiefest among ten thousand and the altogether lovely it may be that these amiable pretenders of whom we are all so fond had contemplated so closely his character that they have unconsciously caught his spirit and acquired his ways they cleverly concealed the rainbow-tinted underwings beneath a coat of drab but having once caught a glimpse of their glory we ever after feel it shining through the gray End of part two chapter three recording by marcela goyado